0: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health.
1: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: Hey everybody, welcome to Creature Feature, the show where we explore all the weird things in nature that your 7th grade biology teacher was too much of a prude to teach you. I'm Katie Golden, I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and I'm your host of Many Parasites. Today we're talking about anatomy that just seems, well, made up, like if you gave Salvador Dali some bad weed and told him to invent some animals. We're answering some of the weirdest questions about evolution and anatomy, like how do woodpeckers keep from scrambling their brains? What animals have not one, not two, but three vaginas? Why would a doctor want to sew your leg on backwards? Discover this and more as we answer the age old question what are some of the most bodacious boobs in the animal kingdom? So, medical science has advanced to the point where we now have a pretty good idea of human anatomy the heart bones connected to the leg bone, and whatever. But we haven't always been so intimately familiar with our inner workings. In fact, we used to have some pretty fantastical ideas about how the human body worked, before doctors decided to dig up dead bodies and really settle the matter once and for all. For instance, in the late 1700s, phrenology was the, quote, science of measuring someone's psychology by feeling their head bumps, the theory being that the different parts of the brain control different emotions, so when they worked out more, they got more swole or something. Ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, on the other hand, had theorized that the heart was where your consciousness resided, and the brain and other organs were simply cooling mechanisms to keep the heart cool for some reason. And in the 18th century, the preformationism theory held that each sperm contained a tiny, fully developed human that simply grew larger in the woman's womb, like one of those, you know, like grow your own dinosaur capsules. This all sounds crazy and stupid, and, well, yeah, it is, but we're about to discuss even crazier and stupider-sounding anatomy that is actually scientifically accurate. Joining me today are the hosts of the podcast Ridiculous History, Noel Brown and Ben Bolin. Welcome, you guys.
3: Thanks for having us.
4: Yay! I'm excited to see some weird animals, as the slideshow in front of me promises.
3: Well, we say that
4: now. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked ahead. I have not cheated. I'm ready to be like, you know, I'm ready to give a completely uh, realistic reaction. And this may... may
3: challenge, yeah. This may challenge some of our uh, preformationist or preformist views. Uh, did I did I get that right, Katie? Pre- the I idea- think, yeah,
2: it's preformationism.
3: Preformationism, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's be open minded. We think the preformationism uh, science is pretty solid. Uh, but, I mean, you know, I'm willing to be wrong.
2: I mean, it is just like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how else a fetus is supposed to develop. What, like, <laughs> although the thing with the preformationism that's interesting is that the idea is that it's already this fully formed human that just exists inside you. Then, like, is there, does that fully formed human also have like a fully formed human? Like, is it fetuses all the way down?
4: <laughs> yes. It's basically <laughs> like Cabbage Patch Kids rules, you know? Mm. Like, I don't know. What that means exactly, but uh, yeah. no, I have no yeah. idea
2: what, what cabbage patch kids you mean, just like cabbage
4: patch kids just kind of are like they just are birthed into existence like fully formed from a cabbage, uh, through, uh, from uh, a cabbage. cabbage, right? Right,
3: so maybe that's the uh, the cabbage uh, sub discipline, right? Performationism.
4: Yeah, now right. that I think about it, I went to, there's a place uh, in yeah. Georgia called Babyland General. It's like mm-hmm. where the Cabbage Patch babies are born. Super And creepy. there's a really creepy tree that they shove the Cabbage Patch babies out of, and that's how they're birthed into the world is through this magical tree.
3: And their heads pop up. Their heads it, pop up. I've been yeah. there too. Mm-hmm.
4: It's a really creepy place. What, is this, uh,
2: this is like a real, what are you, what the, Yes. What are you guys talking about? It's
4: called Babyland General Hospital, and it's like the home of like where it's like in the town, I think it's called Cleveland, Georgia, where Cabbage Patch babies were invented by, oh. you know, Jonathan Cabbage Patch.
3: It's the only thing in the town, too. It's this mansion that yeah. used to be their house. And
4: it really does look like a creepy kind of like a psych ward or something like that. It's a very... Strange place. And kids have birthday parties there.
2: So it's like actually affiliated with the Cabbage Patch Company? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's the
4: HQ.
3: I'm going to send you a a weird YouTube link after this episode.
4: They have a really, really serious Uh, collection of Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol paintings of Cabbage Patch Kids are all over the walls.
3: Pictures of celebrities. Mm -hmm. But that's neither here nor there. It really isn't.
2: (laughs) Oh, that is pretty messed up. But we're about to get even more messed up, you guys. Um. So have you given much thought to woodpeckers?
3: Actually, uh, yes. I grew up with uh, some woodpeckers in our yard, and I was always disappointed because they seemed uh, radically different uh, in comparison to the other woodpeckers I saw in the media, like woody woodpeckers. <laughs> uh, these were just these uh, very, like, I don't want to say aggro, but very myopically focused birds who just kept hitting their heads against trees, and it blew my mind I didn't understand. My parents explained to me that they were doing that to eat bugs. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, so uh, they do actually, as their uh, name implies, peck wood, uh, and they'll bang their heads against uh, the tree with their, their, well, they're they're banging their binks against the tree bark to create these holes so that they can uh, reach inside. And it's, but for the insects, you know, to eat, up some ants or larvae or whatever is living in the tree bark. Uh, they also will do it to help themselves nest. So sometimes they pull away tree bark to access holes in the tree uh, to nest there or to to increase the size of a hole and excavate their own, a little nesting area. They also do something called drumming, where it's just rapping against the tree for seemingly the only purpose is uh, sexual behavior, like mating mating call.
3: Oh. Um, nice.
2: But as people may know if if uh, there's any uh, metal fans out there, uh like head banging is extremely unpleasant even when you're just banging your head against air, it it's disorienting, it hurts. So you can imagine that if you're banging your head against solid wood, that would be pretty unpleasant and probably give you a lot of head injuries. So it's really incredible when you think about how rapid these little jackhammers are going and how that seems like that would instantly destroy their tiny little bird brains and smack their skulls and just explode their heads. But uh, they have developed a few very interesting evolutionary traits that allow them to uh, keep on headbanging without actually getting brain damage. So uh, first of all, kind of the obvious one is that they have thickened skulls uh, and they have powerful neck muscles for, for that control. Another more subtle one is that the beak is actually kind of designed for shock absorption. So they've got uh, this overbite, and the top of the beak is more fleshy than the lower beak, which is bonier. So then that directs the force of the impact toward the lower beak, um, and then that directs it away from the brain case area. But uh, you guys are here for the real gross, weird stuff. So they have one more trick up their sleeves or, well, I guess up their skull. Um, I want to talk to you about woodpecker tongues. They're very interesting and weird. So uh, woodpeckers often have pretty long tongues. Uh, They're covered in sticky barbs so that they can stick it into those tree holes uh, to slurp up ants and larvae. some woodpecker species have shorter tongues with more bristles, so there there is variety amongst the woodpecker species uh but for many of them uh it has to be long so that they can get get in there and get those ants uh out of the wood so but we don't see woodpeckers just with this tongue flopping out, and they're not like hummingbirds where they have a really long beak so where where do they keep it? well, it's in its skull it winds up kind of like a measuring tape it literally will wrap around the back of their head and up over their skull and then towards their nasal cavity and the way that it does this is actually even weirder than just the fact that it winds its tongue around around its skull because i i think that that fact is maybe out there um but how it does so First of all, the tongue is bifurcated in the back, which means split in two. Um, so think like a reverse snake tongue, uh, where instead of uh, coming out and then splitting at the end, it's like uh, it's split at the um, sort of uh, up in, in the mouth, and then it comes together into one point. Um, And uh, so the reason it has this length is actually that its tongue is not just tongue flesh. It's partially made out of bone. So there's this bone called the hyoid bone. And so if you guys could just put your fingers near your throat where your trachea is, you know, gently don't strangle yourself.
3: Oh, no, Ah. we're we're hurting ourselves.
2: (laughs) Don't don't do that. (coughs) Um,
3: Near our Adam's apples or? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So up. Along the front of your throat where your trachea is and where your jaw meets your your trachea basically. And you should feel a couple of bony kind of protrusions. Yep. Do you feel that? That's I do. the that's the hyroid bone. So uh it's this symmetrical kind of butterfly-shaped bone. Um it supports and anchors the tongue and it helps in swallowing. Uh, in woodpeckers, these bones wrap all the way around the skull and up towards their nasal cavities, and it's all covered in tongue tissue. So they basically have bony tongues uh, oh, wow. that wind around their skull. And I, I actually sent you guys that that picture of it in the uh, slideshow. Um, yeah, I was I
4: was gonna ask: Are those the same bird? Like the t- the two images? Like, are yeah. yes. we seeing how the tongue is deployed? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Exactly.
2: And-
3: and I've I've got a question too here because in this illustration, which is fascinating, not yet disturbing. I'll go with fascinating. Uh, I see that the tongue has this barbed tip on there. Yeah. Is that bone as well?
2: No, that's just a okay. uh, that's just tongue bristles. Okay. Uh, so the tip okay. of the tongue is just tongue, kind of like ours. But like it, it, the bone it attaches to uh, the the tongue way back there where you have that, Mm -hmm. that dual structure. Uh, but I think those barbs are, it's sort of like, you know how cat tongues are spiky. Oh, totally. Yeah. So when the tongue is retracted, the bone winds all the way around the skull. And not only does this have a nice nifty storage place for the tongue to go, it also offers extra structural support and shock absorption for when the woodpecker is smashing its face against a tree. Um, so it's sort of like you, you it's like having a weird tongue helmet inside your, your head.
4: <laughs> I have kind of a dumb question. Uh, maybe sure. it's not a dumb question. Uh, presumably woodpeckers outside of their superpower ability to you know, smash their heads against trees and not get brain damage have all the same stuff that other birds have. Like why is it advantageous to them to eat in such a bizarre and uncomfortable way?
2: I mean, it's finding a niche really because you have a lot of competition for insects that are easily available. If you're able to get into the tree bark where other birds can't access it, you've just opened up this whole mine of food that uh, you don't really have as much competition for. Uh, so that's that's finding their niche and their specialized hunting strategy uh, that is really advantageous. So like if you can, you know, there are a lot of, uh, birds who will try to get uh, insects that are kind of in bark that are more easily accessible. So once you start developing adaptations where you can get deeper and deeper into the bark and get more and more insects, uh, you're going to do a lot better than uh, those that you're competing with.
3: I also have a question, and I hope it's not uh, a super dumb one, but here goes. I'm going to shoot my shot. Uh, <laughs> first, the woodpecker, now they can see the tongue and the hyoid apparatus, it, it reminds me in some ways of an anteater. Uh, in some kind of like parallel evolution thing, but my question is, given that this, given that this bird has adapted to prevent, I guess, concussions and brain damage from its very specific life choices, uh, how effective is it? Are there woodpeckers that get concussions or brain damage? Is that is yeah. that a thing that can happen?
2: Yeah, actually, uh, there was a recent study that showed that uh, woodpeckers do still get some structural damage that's consistent with CTE injury uh, like football players get um, so oh, it's wow. so it's not hundred percent effective uh, but certainly you can imagine that without these protective structures they just instantly scramble their eggs or brains their brain eggs <laughs> <laughs>
5: The old
3: brain egg.
2: So uh, there's one other... There's actually a couple other weird adaptations that they have to help protect them from the blunt force trauma of repeatedly smacking themselves against a tree. Uh, their brains are extra dry, so they don't have as many fluids surrounding the brain, so they don't just like... Uh, and I guess this, this... I think this is the scientific terminology, so their brains don't slosh around a lot. Uh, <laughs> 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 and then... They also have a nictitating membrane, uh, which is that weird transparent eyelid that you'll see on your cat. And that covers their eye as they're pecking. So it's like a set of goggles. So, because otherwise their eyeballs would probably pop out.
3: Wow. Because of the, the constant
2: impact? Yeah, the force of that. You know, like yeah. you, it's sort of like if you're riding a bike and you the bike is suddenly stopped, you'll fly off the bike, that, but with eyeballs.
4: I had a similar experience like that with one of those bird scooters recently. Oh, yeah. So oh, no. I totally understand this scenario.
2: Right, right. Is it a coincidence that it's called a bird scooter?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: No, that was my point. No, it's not a, it's absolutely not a question. <laughs> it, it makes me uniquely qualified to
3: to have this conversation. With right. You right. You're now. basically an ornithologist now.
4: No, actually, th- I don't know if I think I probably told you this last time we were on uh, but I am deathly afraid of birds and woodpeckers in particular. Just just the more freaky the adaptation the worse. Like I have nightmares where I wake up and there's like woodpeckers under my covers and I wake <laughs> up like in a cold sweat and and yeah, it's it's a thing that I struggle with. Um, so I'm pretty triggered right now actually, but well. I'm trying to hold I'm trying to hold it together
2: well you know i mean uh I, I did present you with a nice diagram showing its tongue wrapping around its skull uh and how long it is and how pointy it is uh and i'm mm. sure that'll help yep yeah yep feeling good well if you're uncomfortable with birds why don't we pivot to something a little uh less less weird uh mm. kangaroo vaginas
3: oh finally yeah great i'm here for it
2: so Kangaroos, wombats, koalas, Tasmanian devils, uh, these marsupials uh, have three vaginas. Uh, So, first of all, I want you to get your minds out of the gutter. Uh, They don't have three vulvas. It's not like the alien in Total Recall where she's got, uh, you know, the three breasts. Um, It's not the
3: Australia version of that.
2: Right, right. So it's not just like three uh, vulvas just kind of like randomly placed on the kangaroo somewhere. Um so the vagina uh, this is it's going to be a little bit of sex ed here. The va- vagina is an inside organ. Um uh, it's the canal that you do sex inside that sperm travels up and babies come out of. Uh that's where menstruation and discharge come out and that's also where Gwyneth Paltrow puts her jade eggs in. That's what the vagina is. That's what we're talking about. Um so you know, we we like to use our imaginations on this show. Uh, I want you to imagine a naked female kangaroo.
4: <laughs> so, so, can, so, a kangaroo not like wearing a suit or right, something, right. Right. or like boxing shorts. No boxing
2: yeah. gloves. Totally naked. So it's oh, gonna okay. it's gonna have a normal looking uh, kangaroo vulva uh, as far as kangaroo vulvas go. But uh, once you look inside the kangaroo, uh, the vagina splits off into three canals uh that meet back up sort of like a weird steering wheel or like a no smoking logo <laughs> uh or like the, that that lo- london like subway logo the underground logo uh so i if you actually if you guys proceed in the slideshow you can see <laughs> uh, oh yeah yeah the interesting complex sort of uh it looks a little bit like a french horn honestly yeah.
4: I, I know what this means, but I just want to point out that there's a one diagram that says middle vagina, Joey travels down. This <laughs> and yeah. that just, I just I just like saying that out loud. Just Joey travels down. This I mean,
2: Joey this likes to take the middle vagina.
4: He really does. That's classic it's, Joey. The, it's the path of least resistance, you know, that, yeah. <laughs> that middle vagina. Exactly.
3: I mean, Joey could be more adventurous, but that, that refers to, you know, the juvenile kangaroo, right? Um, yes.
2: Yes. So Joey is a baby kangaroo.
3: I have a question. Looking looking at this, which uh, it also looks like it might be a made-up musical instrument in a sci-fi film.
4: Yeah. Or like a Dr. Seuss book or something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like The Fifth yeah.
3: Element or uh, Dr. Seuss or something in Whoville. But it <laughs> apparently is very real. Um, I have always heard that kangaroos, uh, female kangaroos, are an animal that can either suspend its pregnancy – or uh, somehow control when and how it gives birth, or when it gives birth at least? Is that correct, or is that something that my college friends made up when we were hanging out too late at night?
2: Yeah, so it can kind of time it. Um, So what the the beauty of the kangaroo reproductive system is that it can have three joeys at once, basically, and at different stages of development. So you've got one joey that is... Think of it as like a toddler where it's like outside of the pouch walking around, you know, maybe still like reaching in the pouch for um, milk and stuff. But it's a it's a sort of what what you would associate a Joey to look like. Um, And then you have the second one, which is uh, the Joey that is inside of the pouch. So that's usually uh, the really young Joey that's either at a very early stage of its development when it looks like those weird little pink jelly beans Or it's a little older, but uh, it's so it's developing inside of the pouch. And then you have a third Joey that is still developing inside of the uterus or traveling down. You know, once the middle Joey leaves the pouch and that one uh, starts to travel down and leave uh, and then makes that heroic crawl from uh, the vagina to the pouch, which is kind of incredible. So I, I don't think they can consciously control it like you know, oh, well, you know, I've got this, this Joey is a real pain in the, in the, in the, <laughs> the rump middle here, vagina. So. Yeah. Uh. The real pain in the middle vagina. So I'm going to stall off that other, that other Joey. But yeah, there is a, this timing allows them to be perpetually pregnant. It's like an assembly line of Joeys. So what's interesting uh, is some biologists think that, so as you can see from the diagram, the middle vagina is a little narrower than the other ones. Um, and some biologists think this is why joeys are born so premature because it's just too narrow for a bigger baby. So that's why they have to make that crazy crawl from uh, the vagina to the pouch. If you if you don't know what I'm talking about, joeys are born very tiny, like they they look like little little gross pink beans, and then they oh, have yeah. to they crawl all and and they're they look like an embryo. They don't look like they're fully developed and they're not. And then they crawl from, after they give birth, they crawl from the vagina and they go all the way up into the pouch. So that having that narrow middle vagina is like, maybe that's why this is, this happens. Oh, they also, it's important to note that they have two uteruses, two uteri.
3: I see that. Yeah.
2: Um, and that's actually not too uncommon. Um, they're bifurcated uteri in deers, cats, dogs, elephants, whales, and a lot of other cool animal ladies. Uh, in fact, hu- humans only having one uterus were more of the, uh, the weird ones, I guess.
3: I've always thought that, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. It's I, just
2: one I, more thing to shame women about. You only have one uterus? What's wrong with oh you? Oh,
3: boy. Oh, no. I'm not associated <laughs> with that at all. I did notice, though. Um, when when I've seen pictures of Joey's uh, and how how they're so uh, they're so newly formed and undeveloped, it's pretty amazing that they can instinctually climb up the parent's body toward that that pouch. But the pouch always weirded me out. Like, is the is, I never thought I'd say this on the air. Is this treble vagina adaptation? Is it something that occurred? around the same time that the pouch was developing? Or like, what, why and how? That's my question. Why and how? I just, I'm baffled. Just, <laughs> just, just why? Just why? Yeah.
2: It's a really good question. It's a little bit of a mystery, at least to me, because um, I was trying to find uh, why exactly uh, they have uh, three vaginas. And so there's a few theories. One is that um, male marsupials ha- Actually, have a uh, two-pronged penises, so maybe they can do double time fertilizing the vagina. Um, but actually, kangaroos do not have the the two-pronged uh, penises, uh, which I guess is really unlucky for the lady kangaroos. Um, but uh, so that's that's one theory. But it could also be helpful for creating like that endless perpetual joey production machine. Um, -hmm. you got one in the pouch, one in the oven, one fending for himself. Um, and you know, uh, I, (laughs) I would really, uh, like to hear if there are any marsupial biologists out there, if they have any theories about, uh, why they have three vaginas, but there's one other thing. And it's, I think, so first we have to kind of, uh, talk about, um, you know, uh, what a spandrel of evolution is. Have you guys heard of that term?
3: I have not nope
2: so uh spandrel is it's a term that comes from architecture actually so the spandrel is this triangular wedge between an uh, archway and like a uh, ceiling so uh it actually serves no inherent purpose uh, other than being a structural byproduct so you have the arch and then the ceiling and then where that kind of like meets you you have that little wedge where it's like the the um where the semicircle meets that kind of triangle, um, and uh, so uh, it was coined as a term to mean uh, an anatomical feature of evolution that's just kind of a result of how the animal got built. It has no inherent purpose. It's just, you know, it's kind of like I, I don't know. I guess like you could also describe it as like the taint, like of <laughs> of evolution because it's <laughs> like it doesn't serve any purpose. It's just there because you gotta you gotta have a place between the the front and the back. <laughs> um, so uh, so there's a possibility that having the three canals is like a spandrel of having two uteri. Um, and that uh, the fact that they have, it's that for some reason they want a separate birthing canal. And then just the fact that uh, we're typically speaking in many structures are symmetrical just in terms of how they develop in the fetus. But, you know, I don't know. It's it's really, it's kind of a mystery. Uh, and we'll actually see kind of in another animal, maybe a proto, kind of a proto pouch, which is really interesting uh, later on that we'll discuss. But first, I want to take you guys on the imagination train to Imagination Station. So this one's actually really easy. Uh, just imagine an elephant in your head. Close your eyes. Okay. Mm. Got it there. So all,
4: gentle, such kind eyes, majestic. Yes. Uh,
2: and all of its elephant y goodness. Uh-huh. Does it have big tusks? Oh, it yeah. It does. No, yeah. you're, doing, you're no. doing it wrong. It's a female no. elephant. Ha! <laughs> Didn't uh, expect that, did you? Um, okay, okay. Now well, imagine twist. that with it is a smaller elephant, a little baby. Is it cute?
3: Yep. Oh,
4: boy, is it ever
3: adorable.
4: Cute little
2: baby. Mm-hmm. Now, that baby elephant, he's going to be hungry, and it's got to drink milk from its mother. How does it do this? Where, where, like, like, try to imagine where do you think it's getting the milk from?
3: Maybe uh, through the trunk. Maybe, like, a, a how? <laughs> maybe they're like secret elephant udders.
2: Right. Have you ever, beast? I don't know. Have you ever tried to imagine this, like, an elephant's udders?
3: No, this is, this is a first
4: for me, Katie. <laughs> it's never come up. It's never Ugh. come up in my line of thinking. Right?
2: No. Right. Yeah. Well, you because, know, like you don't it's not just like cow udders attached to the elephant. So it's well, I gotta tell you guys this. Did you know that elephants have big ol' honkers? Which
3: Honkers as in noses? No. Cause, no. Oh.
2: No. They got big ol' very uh, big ol' set of very human looking boobs. So yeah. if you advance in your slideshow, <laughs>
4: mm. Oh my goodness. I, so okay, yeah. I am not doing a pearl clutch situation right now. What I'm doing is like they literally look like those fake boobs you buy at like yes. the joke store. Like because the 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 scale is all off kind of. Right. Cuz the elephant's so they're huge. They're very
3: close together. And
4: they're very close together. And they right. look like yeah that they're wow. Okay. I don't
3: I don't want to use the word traumatized, uh, but when I first when I first looked at this, I was pretty uncomfortable. And I was thinking, okay, how many things in this slideshow are photoshopped? I better be a good sport about this. But if I were in the wild, I've only seen elephants in you know zoos or nature preserves. So if I were in the wild and I saw a, a busty elephant running at me, I would freak out. Yeah, and then I'd you would be trampled. I'd be tramp. I'd be. Tra- I would die.
2: Trampled I, by I, the feet or by the boobs?
3: I don't know. That's un- the problem.
4: Un- unclear. I love the uh, I love the caption you have on this slide too. It just says very non you know it's just like very matter-of-factly some hot elephant tits. Yeah, <laughs> thanks Katie. Yeah. It's it's
2: <laughs> You guys are welcome for the slideshow by the way. I'm going to see if I can post this slideshow online actually. Oh, please uh, do. For the listeners. Um but So if- is
3: this is this like something they always have and that I've just never noticed noticed? Yeah, yeah
2: well they, they have it so when they're when they're nursing they they definitely swell up but uh, but yeah I mean they, they've this is not new It's not like a 2019 <laughs> weird new millennial thing like they've always had elephants have always had breasts um, And also I would encourage my listeners to Google elephant boobs um, and do it with the safe search off for sure. Um, and, and just, just roll those die. (laughs) Uh, so what's really interesting about the elephant mammary glands is that they are some of the most human looking boobs on an animal that I've actually ever seen. And that includes primates. Uh, because if you think of primate boobs, they actually, you know, they're, they're pretty small. They're kind of flat as Kansas. Um, (laughs) But the elephants actually have more extensive breast tissue, so the reason their breast tissue is so voluptuous is so the baby elephant can reach better because elephants are big, baby elephants are less big, and that's tricky. And it's also interesting because those boobs are in the front, like on their chest, like you would see in a human. Which Uh you may wonder, like why aren't they in the back, like uh, you know a cow or something? So there's a very simple reason. The back just has no room for boobs. Uh, and this has to do with how they give birth. So in order to give birth and not drop little baby Dumbo on his sweet little head and kill him immediately, uh, the vagina is actually under the elephant, like between her legs, so the calf doesn't have as far to go. So in other ungulates you may know, like like in cows, the uh, vaginal opening is it kind of like closer to the butt, like near the tail. Um, uh-huh. and so the calf kind of drops a little bit. If that happened with an elephant, that would be really bad for the baby. Um, oh, I
3: see. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Right. So because they give birth down there and, uh, that's where the, uh, vaginal opening is, there's just no room for the breasts. Uh, so that's why they're between, uh, on their chest.
3: Okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm catching up to speed. I'm just, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little baffled and this is changing, changing some things for Changing
2: me. how you look at elephants. Literally. Yeah, the elephant's uh, we, like, my trunk is up here.
3: <laughs> 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 yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, because elephants are already such amazing and intelligent creatures. And cognitively, the more we learn about them, the more we learn that their thought processes are are, are very, very sophisticated. And they feel increasingly, I don't want to say human-like, but right. increasingly like a pure species in some ways. So now, finding out that they I, I do, mo-
2: I do want to interrupt you to say yeah. I do like that you're thinking about the elephant's mind and not just her chest. That's really woke of you.
3: <laughs> thank you, thank <laughs> you. I try to be elephant woke. This is so much information, though. Like, how how human are they? I don't.
2: Well, I don't so, know. So to put your I, mind at ease, this isn't. Uh, it's a it's another case of parallel evolution, um, but it is really interesting because most animals don't actually have large breasts or like, it's like an udder situation where their udders swell during pregnancy and nursing. And certainly they don't have the kind of like large breasts that elephants have. And that's, uh, those are, as I mentioned before, designed to make it easier for the baby elephant to reach. But humans, uh, human breasts are actually really, uh, kind of an evolutionary mystery. Um, scientists are baffled by boobs, uh, And it's, uh, there are a few theories, like some are nutrition, like maybe it's kind of like camel humps, where you store extra fat for nourishment. My humps, my humps, my lovely lady (laughs) lumps. One of the more popular theories that I I actually think is probably more convincing is that it's sexual selection, um, that uh, they somehow it's just kind of this thing in nature where sometimes certain characteristics are attractive because they may signal uh, sexual maturity or uh, some kind of sexual fitness. And then that trait becomes more and more exaggerated because that that signal uh, is very powerful. So an example of that is um, there are certain birds that if you uh, give them a, a big egg, like a, a big fake egg, they care about it even more than the smaller eggs because that signal is just like really powerful so that's kind of like potentially with breasts like the you know having more voluptuous breasts is like this overpowering signal that just uh mesmerizes like our early human ancestor males or something
3: yeah that's uh, okay i see the i see the point you're making here
4: I want to point out something, too. Like, I, I maybe I haven't been to the zoo or on safari enough to see elephants, you know, in their natural habitat. But and I don't they're... typically thinking them, think of them as rearing up on their back legs too, too much. Because the image that you have for us in the slideshow is an elephant in kind of an awkward squatting position that's allowing yeah. us to see these, uh, these elephant boobs. Um, but it typically wouldn't be something you would notice, I would think, right?
2: Right. Yeah, I mean it's uh, if when they're standing, I think that's also why this is uh, an image that is capturing so many people's attention. Um, usually, when you see an elephant, they're uh, it's it's a little harder to see their rockin' tits because <laughs> um, uh they, they're angled not in such a way to show them off. And so, uh, yeah, it's sometimes do that. I'm I'm actually trying. I'm kind of trying to figure out why she's kneeling in this picture. Um, it could be to go to the bathroom. Uh, it could be um, that she tripped. That's how I want to think of it is like it's a Marilyn Monroe situation where she yes. just kind of stumbled and she's like, oh, sorry, is my, my, is my beautiful chest showing? <laughs> <laughs>
4: exactly. The baby looks like it's about to get on her back or something, mm. too. It's, it's a weird situation there right. with the baby kind of coming up behind to check on her.
2: He's just like really embarrassed, like, Mom, stop. Mom. Mom. <laughs> Um, So, I teased earlier that I wanted to talk about animal pouch, kind of like a potential um, sort of proto-pouch situation, uh, and uh-huh. it's actually a very interesting animal. Um, so, it's called the Kalugo flying lemur, and it's actually not a lemur, and it doesn't fly. So, what the heck? Why... You know? Yeah,
3: is that like it's just a street name or something? That's
2: just that's that's the it's it's a type of drug actually. It's called kalugo <laughs> Flying Lemur. It's oh, really nice. gonna okay. make you really gonna make you fly, dude. <laughs> um, so they I don't live... know, this,
4: this this creature definitely looks like he's tripping balls. He's got these giant like <laughs> Big totally eyes. dilated pupils. Yeah. Yep,
3: I thought yeah, I thought I could see tripping. I was thinking more like a Studio Ghibli anime animal yeah. in some kind of magical woodland. Uh, setting. environment. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, he looks so, like he's so to about de- to lead 13 year old me off on an adventure.
2: <laughs> so to describe this for the audience, like it's it kind of looks like a a DreamWorks version of a flying squirrel. Like remember mm-hmm. what what was his name? Skrit, the, the little squirrel from Ice Age?
3: Oh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, something like that. Yeah.
2: Like that, but with like big old skin flaps. Um so they live in Southeast Asia. Uh they're not lemurs, but but they are close relatives of primates. Um, they, uh, like I said, they're kind of like, they look a little bit like flying squirrels, but way more fucky. Uh, they have a big flap of skin they can use to glide huge distances, up to 500 feet, without even losing that much altitude. Um, they kind of look like they should be close relatives of bats, but they're not. That's just an, another case of parallel evolution. Um, <laughs> And they're really bad at climbing and are super clumsy, so it's a it's very fortunate that they have a built-in parachute. Uh, they kind of climb by like awkwardly hopping up a tree. Um,
3: oh, okay.
2: They eat shoots and leaves, uh, <laughs> and uh, they actually use their skin flaps sometimes to carry their babies. Now they're not uh, they're not. This is not necessarily like oh, this is how. Uh, pouches evolved, but I think it's an interesting thing where you have this, you have some anatomical feature and then you can kind of see how potentially like a, um, another structure could be, start to be used for caring for offspring, like how the pouch like was evolved to be a protective area for the offspring. You have these arm flaps, which are not to be used as a pouch, but then they do get used as that. And that's really interesting to me. That's um,
3: fascinating. It's it's almost like a um, an evolutionary crossroads or yeah. adaptive crossroads. Like what what will win the day? Will it be more useful to uh, glide and have a built in parachute because you're crappy at climbing, or will <laughs> it be more useful to have a pouch to protect your young? I don't know.
2: Exactly, and I think that's that's also what makes uh, studying evolution so tricky because you can look at a characteristic and say okay clearly this evolved to like allow them to fly or something but it could have started out as something else like a structure uh maybe maybe it did start out as like a structure that helped with their child rearing but then it, it as it got bigger like it actually helped them with gliding and then it turned into that so that so evolution is a twisty turny uh kind of a kangaroo vagina situation <laughs> uh where it's just like you have all these twists and turns and weirdness. So one other fun fact about them is that in order to poop, they have to lift their skin flap over their body, and it's really weird-looking. If you guys uh, check out slide number seven. <laughs> I
3: discussed it. I am trauma. This is, you know, I thought I thought I had uh, gotten over the, uh, the uh, tough part with the elephant breast, but this is... Traumatizing. I didn't know what I was looking at for a second. I thought it was a weird dragon fruit. Uh,
4: yeah. Wait, is it turning? Is it turning its pouch inside out? It's is yeah. it
3: holding up. It's we're yeah. seeing
4: the inside of the pouch. It right. looks like
2: right. So it's, oh, it's well, it's, it's like not really the, a pouch. Uh, it's just this right like. I, well,
4: yeah. No, I got it. The flaps. Yeah. The flaps. It's like
3: it took its cape up. Right. And, all, and the entire cape turned out to be made of asshole. It's like an Animal Kingdom Goatsy kind of thing. <laughs> it really is. It looks prolapsed. Oh, my
4: God.
2: Well, so uh, it's the membrane uh, that makes up its flap. Like On the top, it looks kind of cool because it's covered in fur. But from the bottom, it's nude. It's not covered in fur. So it's all veiny and weird and pink and translucent. Uh, and it, when it folds itself up, it kind of looks like it's turning itself inside out. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, stuff of nightmares.
3: Jeez. Kind of a,
2: like a, you know, that, that painter, Hieronymus Bosch. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I love him. Like all his, uh, paintings of humans being tortured in hell. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks I like. Just,
3: yep. Can you imagine... Uh, there but for the grace of randomized evolution go us you know humans aren't perfect but i'm so glad i don't have to go through that just to use the restroom
2: i mean i don't know because like maybe if we had evolved uh big skin flaps we'd consider that sexy like like maybe kalugos have a whole category of porn that's just like skin flap that
3: (laughs) yeah oh my gosh it was the worst upskirt videos ever (laughs) uh yeah, I'm just, I'm really glad that I don't have to pull my asshole over my back mm-hmm. to use the restroom.
2: Eh, sounds a little, <laughs> sounds a little overrated, to be honest to me. What is he using
4: to do it? I don't understand what I'm looking that's at. His it's his head. head. I, so it's, you see, it's his, okay.
2: you see that, that kind of line that's going down. The that's ridge? that's yeah. yeah, that's like his tail bones. Uh, and the, I got yeah. it.
4: Okay, I see. For a second, I thought he was like using his mouth to like pull it up over. <laughs> like, like That's even more disturbing. Just yank I, it on it, and it. You just kind of yeah. like exactly turns
2: inside out and disappears. Uh-huh. Into it doesn't. Himself. The
4: thing is, though, you don't need this to be any more disturbing. It's fine just the way it is. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, great. I don't want any more of got this. Got some got yeah. some new nightmare fuel now. This yeah. is really helpful. Well, stuff, we, Katie.
2: we can take a quick break, uh, but then I'm gonna throw more stuff at you.
3: All right, I'm, I'm ready.
4: Yep, I'll steal myself.
2: <laughs> so can you look like a regular human on the outside, but an alien on the inside? There was a recent news story about a 99-year-old woman who donated her body to science. Medical students at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland were using her cadaver in a gross anatomy class. When I say gross anatomy, it doesn't mean disgusting anatomy. It just means anatomy that can be seen with the naked eye. In this case, the anatomy was particularly, well, odd. The 99-year-old woman had lived a long and healthy life without ever knowing that her organs were backwards. Her liver and other abdominal organs grew on the left side of her body. Typically, they grow on the right. It's a rare condition called situs inversus with levocardia. She's thought to be the oldest person to survive with this condition. And I mean, at 99 years old, she's probably one of the oldest people to live, period. This is a 1 in 20,000 condition with a typically bad outlook, where only 1 in 50 million live to adulthood. So this 99-year-old woman was truly 1 in a billion. Hold on to your livers. We'll be right back with more
0: Wild Anatomy. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health.
5: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: Sometimes animals are so strange, scientists don't believe they're real. This was the case when the platypus was discovered. In 1799, the biologist George Shaw couldn't believe that the platypus specimen he was looking at was real. After all, a platypus has what looks like a duck's bill and a beaver's tail with no nipples and it lays eggs? Surely, people thought, it must be a hoax. But as you know, the platypus is very real, as are the freaky fantastical animals we're about to discuss. These animals you may not have heard of. All right, guys, so I want you to imagine that you're walking in the beautiful forests of Southeast Asia. Awesome. You're there among trees and plants and various wildlife, and suddenly you smell the delicious scent of popcorn. You look around. There's no theaters to be found here. It's a forest. Suddenly, you see what looks like a cross between a lorax, a bear, a cat, and a monkey. It's the binturong!
3: Is, it, uh, is is this the source of this popcorn smell?
2: Yes, it is, which we will discuss. Uh, do you guys see, I sent you that image of the pinterong <laughs> just chilling on a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
3: it's a mood for sure.
2: Yeah, and uh, in the second image I show you, you can see how shaggy it is and how thick its tail is. It mm-hmm. is a chonky, chonky tail. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> It looks like a Dr. Seuss creature to me, like, like an old Gnar or like a Jim Henson. Oh, you know, like, uh, in the dark crystal, the, uh, what, what are those? The Sears? Uh, oh,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. It kind of looks like that. So it's, um, uh, like I said, it's found in Southeast Asia. Uh, it looks, it's like black and gray, shaggy, big tufted ears, big, Looks like big a honey whispers. badger, kind of. Yeah, almost. like a big honey badger, but its face is like floppity. <laughs> it looks like a...
4: It also seems like it does give a fuck. It's got kind yeah. of kind eyes. It, it looks like it would give you wisdom and kind of like take you under its wing and nurture you as a yes. traveler, like in the jungle. I think that's, that's what I'm picturing. Maybe yeah. in the
3: first picture. In the second picture, though, the eyes... And, and maybe it's the gradation of the the facial hair. But in the second picture, it looks like a villain. It's mm-hmm. like the... First picture is sort of the uh, Simba or Mufasa, and the second picture is the Scar version. Oh man, they dev- should
2: they should have made the the Lion King remake with binturongs. That would have been so much better.
3: Yeah, I know that they, that they didn't answer my tweets, but uh, <laughs> there's always next reboot, right?
4: Is it is it a prehensile tail? I mean, it's so it chunky. Is. Like, okay, got it.
2: It is indeed. So prehensile means it can grasp and hold things, and it can do that. In fact, when they're young. They can actually hang by their tails, but when they get older, they they're just too fat, <laughs> too heavy. Yeah, um, some chonk, as you said. So, so that
4: adaptation becomes less helpful as they get older, or like does it does it still serve a purpose for them?
2: Still serves a purpose. Still allows them to balance uh, as they climb on trees. Ah, um, uh, gotcha. And you know, for for young uh, binturong that's maybe less adept at climbing, that being able to actually support their whole weight on a tree is very much more useful probably than an adult. So, uh it's actually not a cat or a bear. It is try to guess like some of its closest relatives.
3: Okay, not cats, not bears, not badgers. Uh what Meerkat? Uh yeah, no. m- maybe like uh oh, what's what's the one um whatever red panda is?
2: Mm. Tanuki? Well, <laughs> 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 well, actually you're closest with the cats guess. So they're a member of the vivarid family, which uh, includes palm civets and gennets, which civets and jennets look like cats, but they aren't. Um, oh,
3: civets are the ones that make the uh, great but disturbing coffee.
2: Yes, the poop coffee. I, th- I think you're right about that.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So where they, they eat
2: these coffee beans and then they poop it out and then you collect the, the
3: mm-hmm.
4: pooped out
2: beans and drink that up as you're... Your nice hot poopy bean juice in the morning. It's
4: really expensive too. Yeah. Yes,
2: I love my expensive poopy hot bean juice.
3: Who doesn't? Yeah, it's um, just not the same without the poop.
2: <laughs> so they're related to cats, but they're also related to hyenas and weasels. So that whole sort of group of—I uh, know hyenas seem like a kind of weird, like you would think they would be more related to dogs, but they're—that's actually also parallel evolution, which we talk about a lot today. <laughs> But Uh uh, yeah, so that's what that thing is, this binturong. It's omnivorous and uh, it's about four feet long from head to tail. Uh, The tail is about as long as the body. So it's like a two foot long tail, two foot long body. Uh, They weigh about 50 pounds. So, you know, like a slight uh, kind of a big dog. They're like a big dog uh, Mm -hmm. with a bunch of shaggy fur and eyes that have seen into the heart and soul of the universe. (laughs) <laughs> um, females are actually larger than males, which is pretty rare amongst mammals. Uh, usually male mammals are larger than females. As you know, in, um, insects, the female is often larger. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier, they're famous for smelling like popcorn or corn chips, a real yummy smell. And that, that nice, pleasant popcorny smell is coming from their scrotal or vulval glands.
3: Oh, it's their stank.
2: Yep, it's their musk. Mm. So they have a they have some scent glands located near their genitals uh that they use to uh mark and uh that it it smells like fresh buttery popcorn.
4: Old popcorn wait stink. a minute. So I think I heard and didn't believe one time that vanilla extract, something from vanilla extract comes from like beaver scent glands. Is that true?
2: I don't know, I don't think so.
4: What? Well, it seems to make <laughs> sense based on what you're saying. Well, because I mean, like uh, if vanilla extract, geni- yeah.
2: I thought vanilla extract came from the vanilla bean plant.
4: The bean, no, for sure. But uh, but I, I heard that there. The was, I heard there was like a synthetic version of it that came from like beaver scent pouches. But you know, people say all kinds of stuff. But at the same time, like what, what they can't bottle this uh, this gland juice and make buttered popcorn. You know, <gasps> I don't scented know. Stuff? That's a
2: good question. I'm actually I actually looked up beaver butt. Uh, and vanilla, <laughs> and I found a National Geographic article that says beaver butts emit goo used for vanilla flavoring. Yeah, um, a
3: substitute vanilla flavor, uh, and then sometimes raspberry or strawberry.
2: It's called castorium. Um mm-hmm. and the US FDA uh, lists castoreum as generally regarded as safe. I wish that they would like do like generally regarded as safe, but disgusting.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, also, I just found one last fact about that. I also found castorium was uh, used in Sweden to flavor schnapps, and they have one called uh, <laughs> literally. It translates in English to beaver shout. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's beaver butt juice booze. Wow, beaver butt juice booze. Uh, this this is weird too because now I'm thinking like when I go to movie theaters. Am I smelling actual popcorn or am I smelling benturong booty? You Probably
2: know? Like, not benturongs unless you're in a forest in Southeast Asia.
3: Um, okay.
2: I mean, it is interesting. I, I think these are pretty, these are threatened or endangered animals. Um, otherwise, it'd be great to harvest their butt juices to make uh, artificial popcorn.
3: <laughs> Can people keep these as pets or do they?
2: I don't know. They shouldn't. And you wouldn't want to, but do people keep wild exotic animals as pets that they definitely shouldn't? I mean, that does happen. Um, They are at the San Diego Zoo. uh, And (laughs) I looked up uh, the, (laughs) they say that they get fed a diet that includes primate biscuits, which is so cute sounding like (laughs) we made you a little special biscuit. (laughs) Binturongs aren't primates, but I guess that they are, have a similar diet because they're omnivorous. Are
3: they intelligent?
2: I don't know. I I think they're, you know, about as intelligent as like a, uh, like a weasel or a cat, which is to say possibly like just containing the wisdom of the universe. But sometimes they (laughs) sit there and lick their own butthole for hours. So it's hard to know.
3: It's because of the popcorn smell.
2: (laughs) Man, if my butthole smelled like popcorn. mm. (laughs) Uh, And then one other cool fact is that they can turn their ankles 180 degrees. So in theory, they could open doors.
3: What? No, too far. Yep. Too far.
2: So if if you're like at home and you suddenly hear a door creak open and the scent of popcorn (laughs) wafts in the air and you hear (laughs) the footsteps and a black shaggy figure. Probably me, actually, I, and I've come over and <laughs> <like> <laughs> brought some I, some popcorn, and I'm covered in dog hair.
3: Cl- classic, right? I'm, right? I'm loving the horror movie setup here.
2: So now, w- w- let's go back to Imagination Land, uh, Imagination Station, home of the brain. Uh, so now, imagine you're in the grasslands of South America. You smell something distinct, and it's not popcorn, but Yes, it's the unmistakable odor of that dank-ass herb, my dude. Some 420s, some of that old devil's lettuce. You look around, ready to toke it up with someone, but instead you see a deer. No, wait, that's no deer. It comes closer and closer with long, long spindly legs, a red body, a black mane, the tail of a fox, and the head of a wolf. So this is the maned wolf, which is not a wolf. And they're not a fox, but a distinct species of canid. Uh, so if you guys, I've sent you a picture of this this guy, and it's really incredible looking because its legs do not look like they go with the animal.
3: It's got a real set of gams. Yeah,
4: it's, it's also, it's all kinds of wrong. You're right, like the proportions seem off. Like the head size versus the legs, and right. it's got this dainty little posture with the front legs crossed <laughs> over each other, and this come hither look, and these kind uh, of like satellite the, ears. The are satellite you attracted ears to are... this wolf? <laughs> hey, look, I'm I'm working through some feelings right now. okay? <laughs> um, yeah, aka uh, wolf mane because um, it smells like uh, it smells like weed, apparently. Right, it
2: does smell like weed. In fact, what? Uh...
3: How much cooler can this wolf get? <laughs> it looks like it looks like again like a. A uh, character you would see in Spirited Away or something, right. or Princess Mononoke. Dude, no, it
4: totally looks like the spirit of the forest, like with, yeah. the, with the
3: human face and yep, spirit. Yep. Or in, uh, oh
2: yeah, Princess and Mononoke. Princess Mononoke. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah,
3: and it smells like weed. This cat is. <laughs> this is too cool for school.
2: So yeah, they have urine uh, that they use to mark their territory, and it smells so strongly of marijuana that uh, at the Rotterdam Zoo where they kept Maine wolves. Uh, cops were looking around, uh, scouring the zoo for pot smokers, because uh, they're like, we keep we keep smelling pot, but it was just wolf pee.
3: Weird. Okay, I'm, I think it's less cool now that I know it's the urine that smells <laughs> like marijuana. But uh, still, I'd visit it in the zoo.
4: Wait a minute. Are you saying it's not okay to smoke weed at the Rotterdam Zoo?
2: I guess that's not. M- I'm I sorry. was actually—that's
4: my, my—that's my takeaway. You know here. what?
2: I actually, when I was researching this, that was the most surprising thing to me. Not that their pee smells like marijuana, because like I, I'm so used to whatever weird animal things they get up to, but the <laughs> fact that like. In Rotterdam, they're so invested in stopping people from smoking pot at the zoo blows my mind.
3: <laughs> exactly. It's like a known issue at the yeah, Rotterdam I know, Zoo. I know.
4: is that Everyone goes there to get high. Well, no, I mean, like you can smoke <laughs> weed openly in, in Rotterdam, right? I mean, that's what I was... I don't I was know. I, I guess I
2: not at the zoo, though.
4: Maybe not. It's for children. You got to stick to your your hash bars and your ha- like the proprietor of. I'm thinking of Pulp Fiction now. Uh, it's 4:20 p.m. right now. Just FYI, in here in Atlanta, Georgia, it's
2: so. only 1:20 here. Yeah. Sadly, um, that is funny though. 4:20, <laughs> dude. Uh, so, like I said, Maine wolves aren't actually wolves. Uh, they are this this species of Canid that. Um, uh, evolved these, like, weird deer-like legs, uh, and they, they kind of look like a fox, a deer, and a wolf had an orgy and just, like, popped out this weird animal. Um, so they're about three feet tall, and they weigh about 50 pounds, so again, kind of like, uh, <laughs> purport, like their proportions are all different, but they're about the size of a binturong, and um, and uh, they're omnivores and they're solitary hunters. So they're not really like wolves in their social structure. Uh, they're This is cute. They're actually monogamous. So they live together with their life partner uh, and they'll um, stick together. And so th- I think they, they and their partner do hunt together to some extent, but I, I don't think they actually work together in the same way that like a wolf pack structure does, but they do stick with one partner typically speaking which is really cute and they also have a roar bark which is really unique
3: wow that's cool
2: <laughs> it does kind of sound like like death metal screaming that's imagine great. hearing that that like Like you smell weed and you're smoking weed and you hear that.
3: Yeah. Oh, I couldn't deal with that. (laughs) I figure one of your
4: stoner metal brethren are coming to join you, you know, because they're just out there vocalizing and
3: that's crazy.
2: So now I want to move on to one of the most unfortunate looking monkeys I've ever seen. So this is the black and white Yunnan snub nosed monkey. They're old world monkeys who live in China. And they lack nasal bones. And they have vibrant, huge pink lips. Uh, And honestly, they kind of look like those pictures of like when someone gets plastic surgery and it goes terribly wrong. Uh, Uh So so I showed you guys that picture. As you can see, they have no nose and just these huge, voluptuous lips.
4: I mean, it looks like a Photoshop fail. I'm not going to lie. Right. I mean... It really does. The lips look very uncanny. Valley. The tone of them doesn't match anything else on their body. Right. It looks like absolutely all mixed up.
3: I was so I was so taken with the nose. I've seen these monkeys before, and I I remember I was in a conversation with someone about what they do when it rains. Like they can't look up because the the water would get into their nasal passages. Yeah. uh, but I never noticed the lips. I was so taken by the nose, and now these. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with you, man. These these lips look photoshopped. Some
2: real like Kylie Jenner lips.
3: Yeah. Why? Well, (laughs) I feel like I'm asking that question (laughs) continually here.
2: Well, to know why first, let's talk a little bit about their habitat. They're one of the um, highest altitude uh, of all the primates. Uh, They live around 15000 feet above sea level. Um, the freezing cold at these high altitudes mean that if they had a nose, it would probably just get frostbite all the time. So they just don't have one. That's how they solve that problem is like nose keeps falling off. Well, just don't, just don't be born with a nose. Um, and yeah, when it's, it rains, they'll also sneeze a lot because it gets in their nose and they have to sneeze it out. Um, And there's not that much food and nourishment up here, so they actually have evolved to be able to eat lichen off of trees, which normally you can't really digest it, uh, but they've developed special digestive techniques for being able to get nutrition from the lichen. Um, And as for those juicy lips, uh, that actually could be sexual selection, which is really interesting because... Just like in humans, how big, red, plump lips are considered attractive, this may be considered attractive among the snub-nosed monkeys, but it's more important for the males to have these big, red, juicy lips. Um, It's also, it tends to happen where the older males have redder and thicker lips, uh, so that could be a dominant signal, it could be a a sexual maturity signal, and it's, uh, it's just... It's so great. It's like, they look like they have had way too many fillers in their lips.
4: No, but it sounds like a terrible idea. It's
2: a bad idea. Don't do it. But it, it looks like that, like someone like put a vacuum hose against their mouth and then, then pull it away and have these like big lips.
3: Oh, huh. but they're definitely, these. these are just things they're born with that increase, I guess, in their extreme nature as the animal ages. Yeah. Oh, man.
4: How are they doing, like, in terms of, like, as a species? Are they prevalent or are they no, kind they're of, like, dwindling?
2: No, they're very, they're very threatened, uh, you know, and endangered. They're, um, they have a very small population size, so, like, in the just, like, several of thousands. Um, uh, so uh, And they also have such a, a unique habitat that, uh, and they're so isolated. Uh, they, there's actually a little bit of genetic bottleneck, uh, so researchers have like, like looked at their genome and found a uh, lack of diversity because uh, they are such a small population and so insular, which is always a little bit of a concern with a unique species like this. Because um, when you lack certain amount of genetic diversity, if a change to their environment happens or, or some kind of new disease pops up, they are much less likely to be able to cope with that.
3: Yeah, maybe you're, you know, maybe you were on to something with the uh, Kylie Jenner comment earlier, because if you could get her on board with this... Uh, And get her to post some stuff on Instagram. Oh, yeah. If we could
2: could make these monkeys uh, Instagram models, like Instagram stars, (laughs) like that, that, and then people would get on board with protecting the earth. Oh, man. Maybe
4: even rename them the Kylie Jenner monkey,
3: you know? Yeah, exactly.
2: Monkey influencers. Oh, my God. I can't believe nobody else has thought of this before. The time has come.
3: (laughs) The time has come, you know.
2: If you went in for an amputation and the surgeon sewed your leg on backwards, you might think you've got a medical malpractice case. But in some cases, this is an intentional procedure. Rotation plasty is a procedure in which the leg is amputated, usually to excise bone cancer. Then the lower part of the leg, if healthy, is reattached to the thigh backwards. The purpose of this is to create a knee using the foot. The ankle has the same hinge motion as the knee, just backwards. So rotating it gives the same locomotion as the knee. This allows people who have had an amputation to have a better range of motion and to adapt prosthetics with more ease, being able to operate a below the knee prosthesis more easily. It may look a bit strange, but it's an innovative procedure that can give people a better quality of life. It just goes to show you so-called weird anatomy can be incredibly useful. When we get back, we'll look at some of the more intimidating examples of animal anatomy.
0: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health.
5: So visit Snagajob.com or text SNAG to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: Dinosaurs, they're big, leathery, with bony claws and pointy heads. Our conception of what dinosaurs look like may be a misconception due to what's called shrink-wrapping. Shrink wrapping is when paleo artists, artists who try to reconstruct what an animal looks like based on its fossil record, don't include as much muscle, tissue, and fat as an animal may have in reality had, which makes them look bony and skeletal, sunken, sort of like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. In the book, All Yesterday's unique and speculative views of dinosaurs and other prehistoric animals, artists made a series of pictures of what it'd look like if you did the classic shrink-wrapping artistic rendering of living species based on their skeletons. Suddenly, swans are horrible monsters with needle-like pointy arms. Baboons and squirrels look like grotesque demons. In fact, as we now know, dinosaurs may have been feathery and brightly colored, maybe even a little chubby sometimes. A T-Rex may have looked more like a giant threatening chicken. As we'll find out, our concept of what animals can look like may need to be expanded, and we'll start out with a very large extinct monster who flew the skies. So are you guys fans of the Jurassic Park thing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the thing. Love it.
4: Movies. I love the toys. The franchise. I yeah, well, I don't know the first one was really good and then the most recent one was pretty okay,
3: but then the ones in between I wasn't a huge fan. Of. Maybe you just maybe you just got older. That must have been what happened. And lost the magic no, of the dude, Jurassic magic that's man. That's the thing.
4: Jurassic Park 1 totally holds up on repeat viewings. Like even sure. though like it was like in 1995, the effects look really great and I, I can sure, actually yeah.
2: I can verify that because when I was a kid, I was too scared to watch Jurassic Park, um, uh-huh. and then I watched it as an adult, and it really does hold up. It's really good. Uh, it's, got,
3: it's got quotables. Uh, even it, even just uh, the way the story is structured, it's still very watchable, despite the fact that, as, as you pointed out, Katie, uh, science is showing us that dinosaurs... Or what we call dinosaurs may have had a ton of feathers, right? right. instead of just scaly skin.
2: Yeah, they may have been f- little fluffy chicken like creatures. <laughs> um like imagine a T-rex, but just like a big old chicken with big old fluffy feathers. They could have been colorful. They could have had like um like guller pouches and head bobs like crests
3: and crests and stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: I think artists are now reimagining dinosaurs more to be more fancy, and I love that. And one uh, group of dinosaurs that I think we have a certain conception about them, but it is a misconception, is the pterosaurs. So pterosaurs are, think like the pterodactyl. That's one species of pterosaur. And they're not actually dinosaurs. They're winged reptiles that are extinct, that are of the Mesozoic era, So they are just defined as this group of extinct reptile that would have these, you know, they have those leathery wings that they can use to fly, like a pterodactyl. But I want to talk about one of the most incredible species of pterosaurs, which is the Quetzalcoatlus northropi. Does that sound right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, Quetzalcoatl is... um it's a reference to Mayan culture, right? Yes. Mayan Rastac? Yeah. Yes, yeah, that yeah.
2: feathery serpent god.
3: Right, the plumed serpent. Uh and this this thing is I have to ask just looking at maybe a, a recreation yes. or a a model of this uh my first question is could it actually fly cuz that head is ginormous.
2: Uh yes, it, I mean I think uh it could have flown. Uh the Scientists actually, there were like physicists trying to figure out whether this thing could fly. And it's a little bit of a controversial debate, but most researchers, I think, agree that it could indeed fly, Um, which is insane looking at it. Because uh, so for our listeners, it was it looks sort of pterodactyl like, but it was as tall as a giraffe with a 35 foot wingspan It's about the size of a Cessna 172 airplane. Um, It has a long, sharp-pointed beak and a really muscular, stiff neck. Uh, And so when they're on the ground... Uh, They can fold their wings kind of like, I mean, like when you see in uh, fantasy movies how dragons walk on the ground when they don't have four legs. Like uh, in Game of Thrones, how the dragons would walk on their folded up wings. That's exactly how these guys would walk on the ground, uh, paleontologists think. Uh, So they actually have a... Um, sort of physical structure similar to large ungulates like giraffes. So they may have been able to walk um, with a similar ease as a giraffe. Um, probably not quite as good because of those big old flappity wings. Um, and uh, some researchers actually think that they could have made transcontinental flights because they're just so dang big.
3: <laughs> and they maybe caught the right thermal or something and, and could coast
2: right. for a while. Right.
3: Okay.
4: So, uh, looking at this thing though, like I mean, I, I leave flying out of it. I don't feel like they'd be able to stand up right. That head is so huge. I feel like they would just like topple over. But I, I mean, guess the only the only explanation there is was the beak like really light or something? Like does it just look so top heavy and unwieldy?
2: I mean, I think it's just their their vertebrae, if you look at um, a skeletal uh, the the fossil and the skeleton of it, their vertebrae were huge, just these really thick, thick uh, structures. Um, and then couple that with some really swole neck muscles. And then I think a beak, which is, you know, a lot of their head is, you know, the, the beak structure, even though that's quite large, it is hollow for the most part. And then, you know, the head is obviously pretty heavy, but then that, the little bump on top, the fleshy bump on top of their beak is probably pretty light too. So I, I, I can see how they do it. Cause like if their neck vertebrae are just real chunky.
3: Yeah. They definitely have feathers, right?
2: They may have had feathers. So there's evidence other pterosaurs had primitive feathers to keep them warm. So there's a real good chance that they were just big feathery, huge monsters, which is pretty incredible. So in 1985, DARPA, you know the the defense uh, contracting. Company that they like to do robots and weird technology stuff. Oh yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, They used uh, one of these guys, the Quetzalcoatlus Northropi, as a model for an unmanned ornithopter. Uh, so that's a flying vehicle that uses flapping wing motions. <laughs> and it was this unmanned uh, flying uh, like pterosaur vehicle it was 18 feet and uh, had a weight of uh, 40 pounds. And I can't find out what ha- like I think they just have it in a museum because I it doesn't sound like it worked too good.
3: No, no.
2: But that would be funny because like now we have drones which are less funny. But the like if drones just like were big things that were like flapping their wings trying to go unnoticed, like don't mind me, normal giant pterodactyl sore. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's, you know, there's a reason that we don't catch a lot of ornithopters at the airport nowadays. Right?
2: Yeah, it's not, when you can have a plane-like structure where you, the energy is not in the flapping motion, but rather a uh, fuel situation, that is a lot better. Uh, but they didn't learn their lesson because in 2009, they created a hummingbird-sized ornithopter, Um Which actually worked a lot better, it looks like, Uh, and it's really creepy. And I guess now we kind of have to worry that maybe a hummingbird is a government robot. Have have you guys heard of that? Like, birds aren't real campaign.
4: I support that entirely. I'm just putting that out there. Fake (laughs) news. Um, Um,
2: I hate to say this, but this is another uh, feather in their cap, so to speak, because uh, they did create robot hummingbirds. Um, I'm always getting harassed about that because I own the pro bird rights Twitter account. Um, so people are always like saying, well, did you know birds aren't real? Um, which is offensive to me and my people actually.
4: (laughs) Yeah. We get a lot of that on our other show stuff. They don't want you to know, but it's mainly from flat earthers. So we feel your pain on that.
2: Yes. Yeah. Really? Like just people writing in and saying like, uh, that the earth is flat and that yeah, basically I uh, see. And you,
4: you guys are you guys are idiots, and uh, mm. you know, get off your high
3: horse. I'll send you. Uh, I'll, I'll send you some some choice words. Uh, typically, uh, I've been a victim of some rebuttal videos too regarding the flat Earth, and I found them massively endearing. So you know, if you're fighting the good fight, whether bird rights or uh, <laughs> the shape of the planet, you just gotta. You got to take the the long game yeah. look. Right? I'm actually a,
2: a kangaroo vagina earther. I think that's the shape. <laughs> that's I'm the gonna shape. go with.
3: You know, uh, I have been reading uh, the blog of your organization, the Kangaroo Vagina Earthers uh, dot blogspot dot. Yeah, KVE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got to say, I I, uh, I don't entirely agree, but I think you raise some valid and fascinating points. Would you agree, Noel? Oh, absolutely.
4: Yeah. I no, just want okay.
2: I just want to start a conversation.
3: <laughs> I'm just
4: looking for a new movement to get behind, you know, and this <laughs> this seems like the one for me.
2: Well, you guys, I want to take you back to Imagination Station. Mm-hmm. Imagine you're traipsing through the Zagros Mountains of Western Iran. And suddenly, you see a spider crawling on a rock. Oh no, it's a spider. But maybe you listen to this podcast, so you know that most spiders are friends, Uh, and you reach down to pet the spider, which I'm not actually recommending that you do that. Don't pet spiders. You know, some of them are venomous, but also just like they don't want to be pet by you. But you do it for some reason, and suddenly the rock transforms into a viper and eats your face. So
4: Damn. That's, Wow. A brutal I, plot twist.
2: <laughs> I want to talk about something called the spider-tailed horned viper, which is how it sounds like. <laughs> um, it is found in Iran, uh, in, the, in western Iran, like in the mountains. Uh, it has a unique adaptation to lure in birds to prey upon. So it has uh, what's called a coddle lure, which is science words for a bamboozle tail. Uh, The tail ends in a bulb, and along the tail are these elongated spindly scales uh, that kind of look like insect legs. So the total effect is that it looks like this weird spider. And then what the snake does is it kind of twirls and slowly moves its tail around. And the effect looks extremely convincingly like a crawling spider, when I first saw this, I didn't know what I was looking at. So I just mm. thought I w- it was like a spider crawling around. And then suddenly this viper appears out of nowhere. Because it does the,
3: look amazing.
2: Yeah. The the viper itself uh, has camouflage. So it blends right in with the rocks. Uh, except that it's tail, which sticks out and looks like a spider. So the birds, all they see is this juicy looking spider moving around. And then they go and attack the tail and there was one video I particularly liked because uh, it showed a bird attack the tail uh, that it thought was the spider. And then the viper kind of like um, lunges at it and the bird flies away temporarily. And then it comes back and attacks the spider or the fake spider tail oh, again. No. And then the snake like eats it, it's, just does not learn its lesson. <laughs>
4: Oh man, but I, I want to say like this. This viper needs to get a job with like the Jim Henson Company because there's some serious finesse to this like puppeteering yeah. going on with this fake uh, spider. I mean, it's not just. It, 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 I mean, it's there's some real subtlety to the way the thing moves to make it look like a crawling creature. Yeah. and you're right. Like I was totally taken by it first. I'm like, what am I looking at? I thought it was a rock with a spider <laughs> crawling on it.
2: Yeah, and the then s- the,
3: pl- yeah. The, the plot. Yeah, the plot twist is when you realize the sp- viper's there the whole time, right?
2: <laughs> right, exactly. The viper's just like. It is me. I am, I am Kermit the Spider. Do not worry.
3: <laughs> so, I, it's it's interesting because this looks like uh this is an amazing adaptation. It reminds me very much of the adaptation that rattlesnakes have. Mm-hmm. It it's like the same what what did you call it? the caudal area? Right? Yeah.
2: Which and just means so tail it, area, yeah.
3: Okay, so they went into a different direction and I got to say these are I don't know. I've always loved the rattlesnake adaptation because it's like they have their own maraca. Yep. You know, but this, this is, is like a leveled great. up version though, right? It's crazy. Yeah. They sacrificed puppeteer. They've sacrificed a uh, percussion for puppeteering. You know what I mean? If they you could get like a rattlesnake
2: and one of these vipers together, you got a show.
3: Yeah. Right. You
2: got a whole presentation.
3: Just you might get bit at the end. Yes.
2: <laughs> so speaking of reptiles. I want to talk about the Mexican mole lizard. It's a worm. It's a snake. Nope, it's a mole lizard. It's found in Baja, California, and it looks like a pink squiggly little spaghetti guy. It really does look like a worm at, on first sight, but it is actually a type of reptile in the Amphisbania group, uh, which is worm lizards. So a lot of worm lizards just don't have legs at all. They're legless lizards. They're not snakes, actually. They're a distinct species of uh, lizards. But this one, the Mexican mole lizard, does have legs. But they're really tiny and stubby, and they only have four legs, <laughs> um, which is really, it's very funny. Uh, so if you guys look at that little picture yeah. of it, you see it looks, and they're so brightly colored pink, they look like, you know, they don't even look like real worms. They look like those gummy worms. Uh, yeah. Just – Yeah. And, and then – but they have those little – two little legs out in front that they can use to kind of burrow into soft sand. Um, so are they
3: dragging themselves completely with those legs or just, do their muscles constrict and relax like a snake's for movement?
2: No. Yeah. So it's it's partially the muscles uh, moving them along along the abdomen – Um, And the the little legs may help a little bit with movement, but it's also uh, helping them with burrowing and and crawling down holes. But, yeah, it's not just, like, them, like, putting one leg out and, like, drag, and then the other one and drag. (laughs) (laughs) So they're about eight inches long, and it actually has an autonomous tail, which is, think about, like, lizards and how you can yank their tail off. Don't do that, actually. Be nice to lizards, but... If they are caught by a predator, they can remove their tail, uh, and the tail kind of wiggles around. So these guys have that, except unlike lizards, their tails don't regenerate. So they got, like, one or two shots, I guess. And, uh, in fact, it's quite useful when they're burrowing down and, like, their tail detaches, because then it also plugs up the burrow uh, and keeps the predator from uh, getting to them. But, like I said, they... They can't blow their load too soon or else they're out of a tail.
3: Yeah. Jeez. I've got to say also, these things look kind of like a slinky that someone had coated with uh, a, a pink, uh, I don't know, like a pink curtain wrapped yeah. around them and then kind of. Just messed it up, got it slimy. Little, yeah. The little close-up is really strange. Like on the first slide you got here, where
4: you've got like a long shot where it really does look like a worm, minus the <laughs> tiny, tiny little arms. And then it almost like made me laugh out loud when you zoom in and you see its tiny little lizard face and these bizarre little turtle hands. Yeah. Like that's kind of what they look like. Is little miniature turtle hands. Yeah. Uh, what? How does this thing live? How does this thing survive? Why yeah. does this thing exist? <laughs>
2: I mean, existentially, I can't really answer that for you, but actually, if you like go down, there's a little video of it uh, moving around, uh, uh-huh. and it's, uh, you can see that the little legs d- does help it as it's burrowing down into the sand, uh, and you can actually see its body undulating too, that, the, that abdominal movement of the muscles helping propel it forward, but it's kind of funny because it is just walking along with the legs too. Uh, so it uh, uses the legs to dig and burrow, um, and then uh, the uh, it's it's sort of uh, similar to how you know one imagined snake evolved, where it's like, well, I don't really need the back legs, but in this <laughs> case, the front legs are pretty still pretty useful.
3: And cute, I'll say it, kind of cute. It
2: is cute. It kind of looks like a little baby. Do you remember Dune or like Trimmers? Oh yeah like like a like uh-huh. little baby sandworm but adorable or the
3: sandworms in Beetlejuice yeah
2: as well. um but pink uh <laughs> it is actually like the dune sandworms be, or or trimmers because uh it pulls its prey underground to eat them so like if you were a little insect sized these would be pretty horrifying
3: huh yeah yeah i can imagine so but now, what you said—they're eight, nine inches long, right? And they're yeah. They're primarily primarily underground, so I don't have to worry about accidentally running into one on the street.
2: No, you'd, unless you'd you're probably in, squish it. Unless you're like in Baja California and you're like rooting around in the sand.
4: Are they venomous at all? And I'm sorry if I missed it. When you said that like would
3: they would they give you a bite or
4: they might just kind of they might bite claw you, but
2: you. I don't think they could hurt you, uh, okay. th- and I don't think they're venomous.
3: Looking at their face it looks like they could if not I don't know if it would be so much as a, of a bite as like a really aggressive gumming.
2: Yeah. You know. Yeah. They
3: would nom at you angrily.
2: Sort of like a like an unfriendly hickey.
3: <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a great bad name I think. <laughs>
2: the unfriendly mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And the purple nurplets. <laughs> 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 um so finally uh our last animal I want to give the blobfish, shine some light on this blobfish and kind of clear its name a little bit because I think it's been slandered by the media for far too long. Um, so you guys might all be familiar with the blobfish. Do you guys, have you guys seen these pictures of, of the blobfish before?
3: I've seen the first one definitely because it comes up whenever you're searching a rabbit hole for like, weird creatures right. of the abyssal plains in the ocean uh and it looks like uh it looks like a guy who's having a bad day
2: you know <laughs> right it's that it's that viral picture of like those pink big nose deflated blobs uh it kind of looks like a ziggy cartoon head uh yeah, to exactly me. yeah mm-hmm. um and uh so that you know we're Probably when you think about it, you think of this little blobfish, like looking like that in the ocean, just swimming around, looking sad and blobby. But this this is media lies and slander and libel and all those bad things. Um, <laughs> so blobfish are deep water fish that live off of the coast of guess 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 what uh,
3: coast? uh, I, uh the the uh, a Pacific coast.
2: Nope. Australia.
3: Ah. Oh, that makes so much more sense.
2: So the pressure at 4,000 feet underwater is over 100 times that of the surface. So for animals living down there, they've been specialized such that they can survive in these crushing depths. But just as you'd be crushed diving that deep, blobfish and other fish, when brought up to the surface, uh, will kind of explode. So the blobfish, when alive in its natural habitat, looks kind of like an ugly but relatively normal fish. So I showed you guys the picture of the blobfish when he's alive and healthy Uh, and you can see he's actually, his skin has a different texture. He's uh, not just uniformly pink and gooey. He's got some spines on his skin. He's uh, got some color differentiation and he's got Eye sockets and a and a distinctive fins and I mean the mouth is pre- still pretty mopey to be fair, um, uh-huh. but it it do- it looks recognizably like a fish, just a, a bit of an ugly fish.
4: Well, it's like a puffer fish, kind of, right?
2: Right, yeah, with a big floppity mouth. But uh, once it reaches the surface, uh, it kind of turns into that weird pudding, and that's why it has that distinctive ziggy look. That's that's the desecrated corpse of a blobfish. And so I think it's one of those things where that kind of demonstrates how easily we can misunderstand uh, natural discoveries. Um, because it, while that's not a doctored image, the one of the blobfish, there's nothing fake about it. It's just that's not how they would look in their natural environment. Um, so our conception of these... <laughs> These Ziggy heads just kind of floating on the ocean floor is not quite correct.
3: You know what I think would be great, Katie, is to have a have these two pictures in a PSA because they're a great before and after. You know what I mean? Like meth, not even once. Oh yeah. Or uh, what what's what the what's bins, a hot button?
2: Not even once.
3: <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say what's a hot button issue in the ocean. Tide pods? Be like-
2: Tide know. Pods. Plastic aci- straws, not even plastic
3: once. Plastic straws, ocean acidification, uh, you know, worms on hooks, not even once. <laughs> Apparently Tide Pods are back,
4: y'all. I've got a 10-year-old daughter, and she informed me uh, that Tide Pods are back because they now have non-toxic Tide Pods. Tide. So, so the kids are really going to town, like actually.
2: <sighs> ah, children. Yeah,
4: I know. <laughs>
3: This this has been a blast as always Katie and i been looking back through our exploration today and wondering if I had to pick one adaptation for myself what would I pick and right now all I've got is that I feel very fortunate to be human we're yes. not perfect but uh <laughs> but there's a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff we don't have to do
2: at least we don't have to pull a skin flap up over our bodies to be yeah. able to poop That's yeah.
3: what I'm thinking of yep
2: <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, why don't you tell people where the heck they can find you?
3: Yeah, we are Ridiculous History. We have new episodes coming out every Tuesday and Thursday. You can find us on our website, RidiculousHistoryShow.com.
4: Yeah, I think so. I don't really go to the website, but the best way to reach us is you can email us at Ridiculous at IHeartRadio.com or you can check me out on Instagram. I am at how now Noel Brown.
3: You can find me getting kicked into and out of various countries and communities at, uh, at Ben Bolin on Instagram or at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. And you can find our show, Ridiculous History, wherever you find your favorite podcast. It's true. All of it's true.
2: You can find us on the web uh, at creaturefeaturepod.com. You can find us on Instagram, creaturefeaturepod, and on Twitter, creaturefeetpod, F-E-A-T. Be sure to put that in or else you will get some weird images. I've been Katie Golden. You can find me on Twitter at Katie Golden, or also Pro Bird Rights, where I am really fighting against the media lies and slander about how birds aren't real. In fact, they are, and sometimes their tongues go inside their skulls. And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their awesome song, Exolumina.
3: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com.
5: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use?
4: A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves.
5: So we could go
1: surfing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah,
5: ski slopes. Let's
1: do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait.